You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 257 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. In this episode, we are joined by author Pemdas and we are going to talk about his book Hacking into Heaven, Mushrooms and the Bible. It's a fitting topic to look at the Amanita and Jesus, considering Christmas is just around the corner. Hacking into Heaven explains how many stories and images from the Bible are encrypted references to the mushroom, Amanita muscaria, the real god of the Bible. PEMDAS demonstrates how biblical scribes used ironic schemes to convey a dual message, a literal message taken at face value by the slave class, and a deeper message implied in the story understood by the elite class, and how this linguistic model replaced the chains of slavery with written words. We mentioned John M. Allegro a bit in our talk, and he was an English archaeologist and Dead Sea Scrolls scholar. He was a popularizer of the Dead Sea Scrolls through his books and radio broadcasts. A number of Allegro's later books, including The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross, brought him both popular fame and notoriety and absolutely destroyed his career. Allegro argued that Jesus never existed as a historical figure and was a mythological creation of early Christians under the influence of psychoactive mushroom extracts, such as psilocybin. The book has been described as notorious and as one of the strangest books ever published on the subject of religion and pharmacology. Some studies of Allegro's work have given new evidence and led to calls for his theories to be reevaluated by the mainstream. And we, we talk a bit about John M. Allegro and his book, so it's good that you have some background knowledge about that to understand what we're talking about. But... Uh, Enough of me, let's jump right into it. Here's author Pam Das talking about his book, Hacking into Heaven. So thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, I appreciate it. So can you tell a little bit about who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, um, I kind of roll by the name of Pam Das. It's a pen name because I'm involved in public education and uh these are kind of topics that can get a little weird when you're involved in public education. And even though you might have tenure, uh, they can really kind of get rid of you in, in a weird way. So I kind of try to stay under the radar like, with that. But uh, anyway, I wrote by PEMDAS and um, I wrote this book almost the first draft about 20 years ago. And when I was writing it, I was trying to get it published. And I sent out a few notices to a few different places. And one of them was Park Street Press. And at that time, there were no other books out that were really on mushrooms in the Bible. Uh, obviously, Allegro had wrote his back in 1970, but that was no longer in publication at the time. And I thought I'd come across this unique idea because and other people had talked about, obviously, like Gordon Wasson had talked about Soma and mushrooms. But I thought, why didn't anyone ever talk about Christianity? It seemed like the most influential religion. And uh so just through circumstance, I actually, I didn't grow up with religion. And, and one day I was just listening to some Bob Marley and decided to, because I should read the Bible. I've never really read this and taken it seriously. And so I started off with the book of Revelations and I read about um, how 
John ate a little scroll and had a vision. And that really intrigued me. I was like, well, he ate something and had a vision and a scroll. If you've ever seen scrolls, they kind of look like the ends of them look almost like mushroom caps. And so I was really intrigued. And so uh, I started taking notes and I came up with the whole notebook full of these examples. And I didn't really know what to do with them because I didn't really have a huge background as being a writer. I do have a, a degree in English and I studied graduate school in rhetoric. But um, I was friends with Rob Connell Clark. And Rob Clark writes uh, on marijuana. He wrote uh, Marijuana Cannabis, The Botany, Marijuana Botany, I'm sorry, and a few other books. So I was talking to him and he's all, you know, he's all what you should do is just take your ideas and try to coalesce them into something that you come up with an original idea. He's all, Allegro wrote his book, but you haven't even read it yet. So just write all your ideas down and then go find Allegro's book and find whoever else you can to kind of support your, your ideas and then see what you come up with. And so that's what I did. And uh, again, I think uh, what I was really interested in is is the whole idea of, of how language in our mind is sort of hierarchical and, and how that tied back into the mushrooms. So I don't know. Reading the titles of your chapters of this book, I noticed that you focus also on the apocrypha not just the bible right i again as somebody who's not uh with a background in religion i just i was fascinated by all religions my i was mostly into buddhism growing up my parents never talked about religion and it was just interesting to me i always wanted to understand what people knew so yeah i went and i looked up of everything i could find anything that had to do with uh, the christian jewish religions that had to do so i read them all and uh, so I looked into those and some of those seem a little bit more, I mean, obvious, maybe in their symbolism. But I don't think anything is more obvious than just the whole Adam and Eve story or even uh, uh, Moses and the Ten Commandments with the burning bush. A lot of those things were just they jumped right out at me. And so I just looked at everything else and tried to look at all the examples I could find that could be interpreted as, you know, some type of fungus growth, people eating stuff and then all of this stuff taking place near trees. For those people who don't know, the Apocrypha is like the, all the Gospels and books of the Bible that didn't make it into the final edition, so to say. But I think those, if you if you make a Bible of those texts, I prefer that Bible. Yeah, there's a, I think a lot of it's really, you know, it, it's also very interesting to me, again, is, is people were raised on religion and and if you're not and you take an interest in it it's it's literally was interesting to me so I, I actually enjoyed reading mystical stuff especially if you could see that there were you know metaphorically speaking about you know mushrooms if you had that idea in mind it became like oh i'm finding buried treasure here um and again i think one of the the most interesting gospels was the gospel of thomas where there's the uh, the saying is like, where do you find God? You know, lift up a log or a rock and you'll find me there. And it was just kind of an interesting, that whole idea that of just uh, is kind of removed from all the rest of the Christian Bible. Yeah, I, uh, Gospel of Thomas, I like. I also like the Gospel of Philip. I think it is Philip. I always mix them up, but uh, it goes, uh, yeah, it is Philip. Those who say they will die first and then rise are in error. If they don't receive the resurrection while they live, when they die, they receive nothing. And that's very similar to like a psychedelic initiation. I mean, you could put that into anything, I guess. But that's I like that quote because it reminds me of having psychedelic ceremonies a lot. So um, what is your uh, uh, model? Is it that 
Jesus was a mushroom or is it that they used mushrooms as a sort of agent of spirituality? Well, I think uh, I think Jesus represents a like a deif- uh, deification of the mushroom where it's actually it's turned into a discourse itself. It's almost as if one thing that was fascinating to me was that the disciples are always questioning Jesus and the questions they ask him don't seem like the kinds of questions a disciple would ask their leader. But it's almost as if they got together and they said, this is a question we want to meditate on and we're going to experience, you know, Jesus will eat these mushrooms and we'll have a discourse. And that will be um, how we resolve the, the answer to this question. And a lot of the model is, I mean, for me, I was fascinated by just by things like um, the idea that they say Jesus spoke in parables. So when I heard that, I always thought as a kid growing up, well, parables, that's just the way Jesus spoke. It means mystical type talking. And then I look into it and I find out the the etymology of the word is really rooted in the idea that uh, parables is Latin for riddles. And we think of riddles as having answers. And so then I started thinking about, well, not the mysteries of Jesus, but the riddles of Jesus. And you start looking at this whole idea of what has a virgin birth. Um, what do you eat uh, and you, be, you get inspired or possessed by the Lord? So I just found a lot of these ideas um, tying back into mushrooms. Allegro's book was all about that Jesus was, was a mushroom. How do you, and he, he got ridiculed, of course, by the mainstream scholars and that. But uh, how do you look at that book today? And because uh, and, uh, one argument is that even the non-mainstream these days have discredited his work because they say he uh, you can't really check his translations because it's you have to have a degree in those languages so he kind of had free reign to say something meant something from the original translations but it maybe didn't well you know the thing about allegro that's fascinating to me is is i again i'm i study linguistics at the graduate level and and i'm nowhere near as smart as intelligent as he was there um these some of these guys were literally like uh, encyclopedias and that's exactly what he seemed to be and i was fascinated by the whole idea because i believe i, I can't get it's been a while since i've looked at this but I believe there was this part where he was involved in translating. He was taken off of it for coming up with these ideas. And then in the midst of that, I think it was the Six Days War, Israel went over and I believe they got ended up uh, getting possession of the scrolls. And then they disappeared and only till recently has a new translation come out. So I, I just think one of the things that really was curious to me is, is like, why did all these other people talk about mushrooms and Soma and mushrooms and all these other religions, but then they didn't want to talk about mushrooms in Christianity? I, I thought that was really fascinating. And again, I think a lot of Allegro's work, it, it can be questionable, but then again, just the whole idea of, you know, a burning bush and, you know, what did Moses find? What looks like a burning bush? It, you've ever seen the Amanitas underneath a, a green tree, there's pretty uh, striking situ- uh, thing to see. So I, again, I think it, I think Allegro was, again, I, I think also, I think there's a, an involvement with the CIA and, you know, you recently had somebody on who is a Freemason talking about the history of, of some of these substances used by the Freemasons. And, um, one thing that I discovered recently about all of this is that maybe the whole LSD uh, narrative is bogus. Are you familiar with, uh, I, I asked you this earlier, um, 
I texted you or but was the idea of uh, Leo Perutz and St. Peter's Snow. Have you ever heard of this book? No, you can't talk about that. Okay, because this book, this book changed everything about my perception. And I found out about this probably only about, gosh, it's probably been about five years. He wrote this book back in 2013. Uh, I mean, he wrote this paper. In, his name is Alan Piper. And Alan Piper wrote a, a paper about Leo Perutz and the mystery of St. Peter's Snow. And basically back in the 30s, this guy named Leo Perutz, he wrote a book about a group of people that were going to use a substance which they took um, from a, a fungus. Basically, I'll, I'll read the abstract real quick here. A novel published in 1933 describes the isolation of a hallucinogenic drug from an ergot type fungus. It remarkably predates the discovery of hallucinogenic properties of LSD by 10 years. It also identifies ergot as a secret psychoactive sacrament, the ancient mysteries, 40 years before this hypothesis became a matter of academic and scientific investigation. So there's this book that came out, you know, by this guy in the 30s about a group of secret society people who had this drug and they were going to use this drug to try to make people nationalistic. Their goal, they thought that LSD could make people nationalistic. And in the storyline, it turns people into like communists and it didn't go as quite as they planned. But the whole idea is, is that this story is about a bunch of people who had already discovered LSD's properties and used it to try to change society. It even predicted them the hippies because they are more closer to communists than nationalists. I mean, archetypally, uh, you know, like the... The original idea of communism not the stalin version <laughs> yeah well apparently these guys were they were part of the austro-hungarian empire and they were really bitter about the, the the fall of it and they were hoping they could use this to revive a nationalistic instinct um people like uh i'm trying to think of his name he's the guy who started the waldorf schools uh rudolf steiner he was one of the people involved in in the circle of friends around these people So it's really interesting to think that, I mean, again, that this that ergot has been around for a long time and people may have had access to it. When you think of alchemy, when I, I mean, again, you, you're familiar with alchemy, I'm assuming, obviously. And when I when I looked at a lot of the alchemy stuff, it sounded to me like these guys were actually um, trying to make uh, or trying to reproduce mushrooms. It seemed like they talk about like boiling stuff and like using manure and straw and making the little man. And I just wondered, it's like, well, are they just talking about actually, you know, making mushrooms? Does the Amanita or any other psychedelic mushroom grow naturally? Do we know this in the regions where Christianity, you know, like Israel and, and Egypt and those places? Um, I'm not so sure about Egypt, but I know that Amanita is found in, on most of the continents, obviously not Antarctica, but it's it's pretty much found everywhere at certain places and elevations. And so I know, for example, I mean, reading the Bible, they talk about the cedars of Lebanon. And so they do grow around cedar trees. And um, so I think that's really possible. And even just the idea of ancient trade, if some people would have had this stuff, you would have you could dry them and you'd have these little round discs and you would trade them with people, I imagine. I can't remember how old, but they recently discovered that uh, traveling uh, human f that was like thousands of years old and he had a little uh, satchel with loads of uh, drugs in it. 
you know. Is that Atsi? Was that who it was? I can't remember. It was this year. Earlier this year, they discovered uh, this guy. Okay. I haven't heard that one. Years ago, they discovered the guy who was up in the Alps, and I think they called him Atsi. And he didn't, I don't know that he had like psychedelic mushrooms, but he did have various mushrooms on him. Why do you think that uh, if psychedelics was used uh, in uh, the creation of uh, religion or maybe Christianity, why, and also the Licinian mysteries had used uh, ergot? Uh, but uh, why is it not uh, uh, a common uh, knowledge? You know, why why was it kept on the down low? Well, the reason that I believe is is when I look at history and Western culture, especially, it's it's all derived out of slavery. When you go back and you read about the ancient Greeks and uh, Romans. I mean, they had it sometimes, I think, up to 90 percent of the population might have been construed as slaves. So the one thing that I looked at was using language as um, a form of communication and using irony as a form of communication so that the elite could communicate openly in front of their slave populations and their slaves wouldn't have a clue to what's going on. Like today, people talk a lot about postmodern theory. And at the root of postmodern theory is, is that nobody really knows what they're interact, you know, what they're writing about, or they don't know the truth about anything. So they're just, you know, responding to their, their environment, so to speak. And a lot of times I think with, um, uh, that sort of idea is that the whole history of slaves and scribes is that a certain group of people are kept completely in the dark and everyone else is, there's a hierarchy of levels and you only know enough to do your job, so to speak. And so I think for me, it, when I look at it, it's it's a way of maybe, you know, the elite have a way of evolving uh, why they get to evolve and then keep masses of populations from, you know, not evolving if that's part of the process. What's strange with that theory is that uh, when you experience some of these substances, you wouldn't, you usually have the opposite effect. Like you don't, you, you know, peace and love and or at least... Uh, want to share it with others. Oh, absolutely. I, I, the first time I took LSD was in high school and I wanted all of my friends to do it. And this is another ironic thing is, is that I took it like on a, on a Saturday night and the following week I was a senior in high school. I had to read, um, I had to read the Bible in class. We had to read the, the story of Moses and we had to read, um, the story of Adam and Eve. And I had just taken, um, you know, LSD a couple days before. And I'm reading about Adam and Eve, about how they take this substance and their eyes were opened. And all of a sudden they, they knew the difference between good and evil. And I'm like, well, that's a strange concept, you know, like these people, they, they, they figure out knowledge and it's a bad thing and they're punished for it. And that's where I started looking at things like, well, maybe Eden was really a plantation, you know, and that the Adam and Eve were basically slaves. I looked up that thing I mentioned, uh, and it was uh, a uh, traveling shaman and uh, in Bolivia somewhere, uh, and uh, over, well, it's over a thousand years old, so it's not as old as the uh, beginning of Christianity, but it's over a thousand years old, and he had a satchel or a pouch with... Uh, uh, psychoactive compounds like uh, uh, DMT, harmine, cocaine, psilocin, 
a to- type of psilocybin mushroom, I guess, and uh, many different things. Uh, so um, at least a thousand years ago, they were running around with it. And if they did it a thousand years ago, there must be, you know, like you don't just start doing something. It has to be many years before to reach that point of you walking around with it in a, in a pouch. So, you know, so it, it wouldn't be strange if they used it. I personally believe uh, we used it a uh, hundred thousand years ago. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've come to the same conclusions in terms of like, I, I'm not super familiar with like, I think Graham Hancock is his name civilization rose up we had established kind of like we are now maybe and then something catastrophic happened where most of the people died yet there were still some people who were left and some of these people had technology and i feel like they just have been able to enslave everyone else it's just there just seems to be such a huge hierarchy again like of of slavery and then these other elite people i mean if you read like the writings of uh like Aristotle, he talks about managing farms and how you should get slaves from different places so that they can't work together to overthrow the farm. And they have a, such a system of divide and conquer that's explicitly really well developed in Aristotle's time. So I just don't know. It just seems like, yeah, these substances have been around, but it seems like they have kept them hidden in such a way. But it seems like now maybe they want them to come out. I don't and that's the thing I'm a little curious about, like, why is it a good what there seems to be, um, especially like, let's say with DMT has been very popular with like Joe Rogan at the last couple of years. And um, it just seems really interesting that all of a sudden there's this uh, unique interest in it. Well, I, I think that uh, there's been the interest all the during the last hundred years, there's been an interest. But uh, this renaissance or this increase in interest. I think uh, comes mainly from the ayahuasca and that trickled into all the other different plants uh, because the ayahuasca had a kind of a boom since maybe the mid 90s, 2000 and forward. And uh, and uh, I have this thing, it's not, I can't prove it, but um, you know, uh, the, the Amazon rainforest is very important for the planet's ecosystem and it's more and more under threat and uh, the ayahuasca has been used there for a long time and uh, it's almost like when the ayahuasca reached the western societies it, it received millions of allies so I have this thing where maybe the plant is just it's, it's the plant that's making noise, not uh, any government entities or anything like that trying to bring it out in the... I maybe it's the plant who says, uh, you know, who tries to ask for help from the from the part of, parts of the world that is destroying where it's living. Yeah, you know, and, it, and it's it's like right now there's a lot of... One of the reasons, too, that I I'm, got I'm interested in this again, I kind of put it on the shelf. Years ago, I... um. When I was writing this, I, again, I thought I was going to be one of the initial people and two books came out in the midst of while I was writing it. And, I, and I've heard of some of the other people on your show talk about synchronicity. When you get into this and you start writing it, a lot of this stuff just comes right at you. And it's just you experience these weird synchronic things. There was another guy here and, and these other people were also in California at the same time writing on the same subject, which was really weird to me. And one of those guys I got in contact with and hung out with a little bit was a guy by the name of Jan Irving. 
he contacted John Allegro's daughter and ended up getting the rights to republish um, John Allegro's book. And he wrote a book trying to defend Allegro's book. He did some other work on astrotheoshamanism. He wrote a book on that. And um, so I, I ended up working with him for a little while. And I, and I thought, well, this guy's already doing it. I don't need to be involved. And then he's really kind of a kook in a way that a lot of people do. He, he rubs people the wrong way. And so it's kind of like a negative thing in, in a bad way, I think. that. And I just felt like a lot of people aren't really discussing a lot of these these drugs in a way that I think might make more sense. Like, for example, I mean, I know you've had experiences, I've had experiences, but like, for one, I've never seen any entities. And I feel like it's an interesting idea to, there's this, to encourage people to internalize that experience as seeing entities. And I feel like there's a conditioning taking place with all of this, where if, if that's what somebody told you you're going to experience, then that's what you're going to maybe experience. And I just sometimes think that, you know, maybe what's really happening with all of this is that it's your brain is experiencing neuroplasticity and there's an opportunity where your brain is rewiring itself. And, you know, I've had things, I guess you could say were entities, but I just internalized it as, you know, some weird, um, geo geodesic you know patterns that i would see that were very lighty and had weird tones but you know what i'm saying uh, yes uh, and uh, i think on a superficial psychedelic experience uh, your uh, everyday life could maybe influence it that's got to do a lot with the set and setting if you're that it can influence but on the really deep, strong ones, uh, I've I've always felt that this is because uh, I'm always thinking: is this from me, or where, you know, is this from outside of me? And when it's really strong and deep one, I can't recognize anything. But that's the whole thing: is is that we put we put molecules into our body that are are changing the way our brain is interacting with perceiving reality, and it it is a chemical reaction taking place. So. In my mind, it was, again, I, I did a lot of drugs before I ever even like read or heard about Terrence McKenna. And then I heard about Terrence McKenna and I started looking at his ideas and I was like, well, yeah, I don't really buy into this. It doesn't really jive with my experience. And so, again, I feel like there's this there's a group of people who have read this stuff and they've been conditioned to to describe the experience that way. And as a school teacher, I just see a lot of interest in this stuff. And I'm a little concerned because, again, I think. I think these are mar marvelous uh, substances to have on the planet. They're very useful, but I think there's a tendency to popularize this stuff. And I think the way that they can cure depression, they can also induce psychosis and madness in people. And you don't, you don't know what you're getting into. You're opening Pandora's box. And so I just feel like that some people should be a little more cautious about it. And it just seems like people are romanticizing this. And it can be very romantic and an awesome experience. But again, I've had a terrible experience the first time I ever ate mushrooms. I was unknowledgeable. I ate uh, seven grams of mushrooms and I'd only taken LSD a few times and I lost my mind. I mean, I was not the same person for, you know, months and it'll change your personality, you know, in such a way. I mean, so I think there's certain things that, it just needs to be a little bit more. I think people should be more cautious about it instead of rushing right into it. That's why I think it's if it's possible 
to uh, and I still think in the psychedelic community they are still somewhat uh, underrated which is the indigenous shamans because when because uh, I've uh, sat with uh, many times with indigenous shamans and every time I've had this uh, uh, losing my mind thing uh, they do things that makes it uh, work you know it's, it's hard to explain but they do things and uh, I would never uh, do uh, like a super strong intense uh, session if I wasn't with uh, this kind of uh, facilitator yeah no I, I get you there for sure the only exception is DMT but c- because that's uh, because it's so short that uh, I can manage <laughs> I just, <laughs> you just don't know. People don't have a, if you've never done it before too, you don't know exactly how you're going to react. But, and the one thing, again, I feel is they just, I would love to see more research done on this stuff because I feel that all of these things have benefits and that with more research, we can figure out exactly what's going on. And I think like, you know, DARPA right now, they're trying to do research and figure out if you can uh, use these substances without having a negative effect which I don't think it's possible. I mean, because I think it's so transforming. You know, they're talking about using military guys, right, that are suffering from PTSD. So let's say you have somebody suffering from PTSD and they go and they take, you know, some of these substances. And when they're done, they've completely changed their personalities to the point where maybe they don't, they hate the military. They feel like everything that they took part in was even worse. You know, you don't, you just don't know how it's going to go. And, they just think they're going to cure somebody's PTSD by giving them some molecules and everything's going to be cool. But, you know, it's not that simple. Yes. And also, I've there's been a lot of talk about trying to make for, ayahuasca is a good example because you you have uh, you feel usually seasick and you vomit or you have diarrhea and all this stuff. And they're trying to make it uh, so you don't get that. You only get the trip bit. And uh, I feel they don't understand the experience fully because the I if I you know the vomiting and that is uh, such an important part of it. I mean, I uh, almost feel uh, like I failed if I didn't vomit. Uh, it's such a part of the healing process. I don't understand why you want to remove half of the thing, and also the the part that makes you vomit that part of the brew contains the most healing in terms of like uh, for the body like uh, anti-parasite stuff and all that kind of thing so uh, but that's the western style it's like with the with the bread you know they tried to in the old days the bread was brown and the rich people had the white bread because the whiter it was the more luxurious it was but also less nutritious you know less nutrition yeah, there's a there's a tendency to make everything into a racket and try to figure out a way to market, promote it, and profit it off of it. And sadly, I mean, again, like right now, I'm excited because there's been a resurgence with the with mushrooms. Both they're decriminalized in Denver, and they're not far from me where I live in Oakland. They're decriminalized mushrooms, and so it seems like there's going to be a start. You know, that's going to create an opportunity. I think. Um, and I'd like to get involved with that. I live out on the foothills of the Sierras out here and there's all this amazing property that 
exist out here. And I'd like to try to get some property and create a space for people to come and have experiences. Um, Cause again, I do feel that these, I feel like depression and anxiety is really strong in a, in the Western culture right now. And I feel like, again, that's one of the things I've, I've been studying is, is how these uh, substances affect our brain. And what I'm finding is, is that, you know, we're, we're motivated by fear and guilt more than anything else. And so a lot of things, they're instigating fear at every level, especially with young people. Like, I don't know if global warming is true or not. I know we're polluting the planet and we're screwing up ecosystems. But to teach this stuff constantly to kids is destroying their ability to, to perceive the future in a positive way. And so you combine that with school shootings. I mean, there's just a lot of depressed kids out there. And they're also on these cell phones all the time. So they're really detached and not social. And a lot of them are, you know, getting involved in drugs earlier on. You know, here in California, marijuana is everywhere. Um, these kids have access to it. Like, you know, it's no tomorrow. And I don't think it's the end of the world. But again, in my experience, all of these drugs can be great, but they can also have negative effects. And again, if people study them and they make themselves aware, you can definitely, I think, minimize the chances of having negative effects. Yes, there are certain countries in Europe that where you've had cannabis kind of legal for a long time and there uh, hasn't affected their societies. So, But I don't know how it was in the 60s, but um, there's always going to be a a period when everybody goes crazy and then maybe it calms down. I know like in Holland, for instance, where you can uh, smoke weed whenever you want, but there's a social structure in Holland where it's unacceptable to smoke before you go to work so it's like uh like you know what do you call it like ethics um like don't be late for a meeting don't smoke a joint if you do that they you know look down on you but they they don't mind if you smoke after work you know so those kind of systems will hopefully uh, um grow up in the culture where it's legal but it probably takes a few years yeah and uh i went that's where i used to go back in the 90s as a lot was i would go to holland and uh i don't know if you're familiar if you know mila jensen she's pretty popular in the marijuana industry she did this thing called a pollinator but um i used to go back there and i met her and her family and she had a smart shop so she sold all the different mushrooms she sold peyote anything there that was a plant you could just go buy So I spent, I'd go to Amsterdam every once a year for a couple of years, for a few years in a row and just go hang out there and and experience all those uh, mushrooms. And I mean, again, it was awesome just to be able to go and buy things like peyote, which I really enjoy. It was one of my favorites. And it didn't seem like, I mean, I don't, I don't, a lot of the people in Holland aren't really into the marijuana thing. It's just, they just don't care. It's just there and it doesn't bother them. I don't know. When I grew up, it was we were very competitive and everything, I guess in America, everything is competitive. And so we used to, I used to drink a lot as a teenager and just get wasted and drunk and pass out every weekend. And, uh, this doesn't seem like people in Europe drink like that. You know, they get to drink with moderation and a, and a little respect. Um, I live in a country where it's, um, um, more prohibited to get alcohol. At, so you can, at, at, if you're, certain age but it's harder and uh, there's no respect where I live for drinking whereas if you go just to other countries in Europe it is and I think and in America Canada the same as where I am where it's 
I think the problem is prohibition. You know, like the stricter you are against something, the worse it gets. So, like for instance, where I live, sex sex is not a problem. We don't have any teen pregnancy. I lived in America for a year. Sex was a big problem. It was a big taboo where I lived, and there was uh, every every teenager had a baby. You know, so I'm thinking that it's the prohibition is the problem because when you forbid something, people don't know what to do, and it goes the other opposite direction. Yeah, there's no there's no paradigm or model for for using or or experiencing stuff like that. Everything is just taboo, and then if you do it, well, you're on your own. Whereas if you take it into account and maybe you can provide or prepare people for it. It's like in Portugal where all drugs are decriminalized. Uh, ever since they did that, uh, they've ha- they have less addiction. Addiction. I mean, that's, again, I, I love all this stuff, but I, I do, I don't like to be like a like conservative, but I do sometimes think of the negative impacts. Like here in America, the whole, the opiates are just completely out of control. I lost a friend a few years ago to an accidental overdose and it's heartbreaking and just to see that taking place across the country and people use, I mean, they, they want to feel good and they, they want the, the sadness to leave them. They want the anxiety to melt away. And so obviously they have access. That's the thing about a healthcare system. It does give people direct access to a lot of powerful drugs. And none of them are going to change the way that they're living their lives. They're just going to use these drugs to continue their lives and just try to ease the pain. Yes, and uh, of course I'm talking about all the drugs that were illegal, the addiction to those decreased. But the pharmaceutical industry, the legal drugs that you talk about, uh, that's still a problem. It's not as big a problem in Europe as in America, but it is increasing because... I guess the pharmaceutical companies—they're all mostly from America. They've—they uh, got the whole. I mean, they got everything now. So Europe is, I guess, a new market. So they, it's more—it's more and more common that they push pills here. So it will be a problem soon. Uh, so because uh, they have too much power, those pharmaceutical companies, and they're always trying to cure everything with a pill. And I uh, think that some of them seem a bit scary. I mean, uh, all those uh, pills, they also have very scary side effects that you don't see. You might uh, feel you go crazy if you do psychedelics, but with the pharmaceutical pills, you can have like, uh, you know, suicidal thoughts and uh, become aggressive and kill people and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had... I had a doctor prescribe me an antidepressant once and I was reading the thing and it's the warning is like you may have suicidal thoughts, you know, and want to suicide ideation, ideation. And I'm like, why would you give me something like this? I'm already depressed and you're going to give me a pill right that right on it says I might want to kill myself. Like, I don't feel like I want to kill myself right now. I just feel incredibly sad. And so, yeah, you, these drugs are really they're amazing in that they just so readily approve them. Even, you know, the FDA is they approve some of these things and you, you watch all these commercials over here and, and you, they go through all the side effects and you're like, why, why would you take that? You know, I remember I, I was reading the side effects of this headache pill I was going to take and it had the side effect was you can get a headache. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's all those drugs. They can do the exact opposite of what they claim to do. Usually if it's something to keep you awake, it can make you tired. If it can make you tired, it can keep you awake. So with the, with this book to get back to your book, um what was your uh, if what what's your um, main uh, 
thing that you think uh, people will get from reading it? Uh, is it a new perspective of the history of Christianity or, or what? Well, you know, the thing is, is originally I just I came across this idea. And at the time, I thought people would be excited to, to learn about a new interpretation of Christianity. And most people just thought I was a kook. And nobody wanted to take me serious. And that reminded me a lot of, uh, if you've ever read Plato's Allegory of the Cave, you know, you see the light, you come back down and try to tell everybody. And they're all like, no way, dude, we're killing you. You're insane. So it was kind of a, a disappointing thing. And the more I've, again, the more I've researched it, the more I've been really interested in the idea of like really what's going on in our brains during this. And is there a way that you could simulate it or like what other things out there could help and have the same sort of effect? Um So it's like the one one thing right now that I'm really interested in is like a lot of people are talking about life in the simulation. And when you think about, you know, life in the simulation or a computer simulation, well, our brains are actually the computers and they create a simulation in our mind. So like in and Jesus talks about how he's going to destroy the temple. I believe the temple he was talking about was actually the, the neuro texture of the way that we think and our patterns of thinking. And I believe that's what a lot of these drugs do is they actually destroy those patterns and then new patterns are recreated. Your, your brain goes offline and it comes back online and it has already, it's interconnected ideas, words and language. So it's restructured this neuro-linguistic paradigm you have. And through that process, you are reborn in a sense. Um, and that's where I think like someone like Bill Hicks would talk about, you know, Christianity and Jesus as forgiveness and forgiveness is letting go of those old those old thought patterns and developing new more mature ones so I guess that's what I'm kind of interested is looking at how a lot of that language you know could be turned into like a I don't know sort of a example of how to use these things for like self-help I mean that's to me what Christianity in the Bible looks like if you you use like Christianity and mushrooms together, you might have a really good uh, modern way to use religion. They also they did this study, I don't know when they did it, in the 60s maybe, where they gave, uh, uh, maybe it was LSD, or I, I think it was LSD, in a church, and uh, they uh, and people had uh, some great experiences. But now we also have the Ayahuasca Church, the Santo Daime, and, uh, and others also. So uh, and uh, that's also a reason to get a way to get around uh, that it's not legal is to make a church of it, I guess. But uh, personally, would feel more comfortable if I was going to make it more into religion to go the more monastery route, because I feel like I'm not sure I want to be in a congregation. I mean, because it's so uh, like internal and personal it would be nicer to be like alone <laughs> but i mean you might have a sitter but i mean like not 50 other people <laughs> no I, i agree but i that's the thing I, i didn't grow up with church and religion and i always looked down on it and thought people were just slaves and you know robots and controlled by it but i i do see it as i get older as a, a sense of community and i do like the idea of being around other people that are like-minded and maybe building a community and then from that point you know then you could as as a group or individually you could go out and then have experiences but you'd have a support group you know you'd have a um some friends and stuff that were basically along the same wavelength yeah that's true also we have to remember that 2000 years ago the church 
because today the church only has one function, but 2,000 years ago it was many things we have in society now that was all in the church. It was doctors, it was the scientists, I mean everybody was, it was the number one institution. Also like a lawyer, like if you, you could always, you know, demand sanctuary if you were chased by somebody or uh, also if you're poor, you know, you could get help from the church. But that still goes on today. That's one thing they've kept. <laughs> and again, I feel like a lot of, and these are things like, like, I don't know, like secret societies per se. I don't, I, I don't know what to think about them. I don't know if they're up to no good. I don't know if they're, you know, really good at heart. I, I really am kind of confused by it all. I, in fact, I've thought about, you know, trying to join one. The Freemasons are obviously, uh, they're everywhere. And, uh, but I just, at heart, I don't really don't know what they're all about. I don't even know if they'd want me. I don't know if I don't know if what I'm doing is something they'd like or if they'd see me as an interloper. I just I'm not sure. Yeah, I think yeah, I think even if there was something going on, you could probably rise in the degrees of Freemasonry for a long time and not even get to know those people. So I'm sure it's uh, decentralized like that, but I don't think they all are in cahoots. So I think there's uh, I think it's a lot of chaos also and many different groups and that I, I don't believe in the thing where there's one t- group at the top who controls everything in that case in that uh, scenario I, I agree with Terence McKenna where he goes uh, that uh, there's nobody in control uh, you know at the very top there's people trying to have a control no yeah yeah no, that's the thing it's 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 the illusion and that's the whole that's the truth about it all it, it doesn't matter what's true it's what you get people to believe to be true and and that seems like where a lot of this stuff is working, you know, like flat earth theory. It's like, who put that out there? I, I find it hard to be even conceive being true. But again, I find people that seem to embrace that idea. And it's like, where did it come from? Yeah, you can brainwash yourself. I've, uh, I've for instance, I've, uh, I don't watch the news. I haven't done it for many, many years. I I sneak peek sometimes just to make sure there's not a world war or something, but I don't like watch it daily like I used to do when I was younger. And I had uh, way more anxiety back then than I do now. And uh, now I don't worry about anything really unless a world war with atom bombs is starting or something. But uh, I noticed that a few times recently where I've looked at the news, I instantly start thinking, oh, is 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 this signs that Russia is going to attack? Is this signs that there's a plague coming? And then I like, then I remember, oh no, no, just it's just like clickbait because <laughs> nothing happens. It's it's all it's all fear, and that's the whole thing about it all. It's it's so much of us as a giant population is just it's they use fear to condition us, and I mean even religion in many ways is that way. That's one of the things I find remarkable about religion is the fear is so strong that you can convince people that there's an afterlife and that if you behave now, you'll be rewarded later. And to me, you know, that's an immense kind of fear to create that people, you know, can, I'm not saying believe that, but to hold that as a perspective, it's, it just seems wild to me. I could never conceive of that, but the fear is out there and it's everywhere. And it just, it it just seems, uh, it's almost like a virus, you know, And that's one thing that I getting back to the idea of a computer brain is how a lot of these ideas, it's like you go to church, it's it's almost like you've you've been given a a Trojan horse virus in your mind and you have a bot attached with it. You know, you 
you connect with other people, you go to the church, you get an update, the virus gets reloaded into you every week. Um, you try to share that virus. People come knocking on my door, tell me about it, right? They want to spread their virus. And so this, the world seems very unstable in a lot of ways. And again, part of me in all this was, I was originally kind of afraid to involve myself in this because I don't know if I was successful where this would lead. And I don't, when I first, I did this a few years ago, I tried to, and I really had a, a, a bunch of crackpots kind of contact, very unstable people. And and I was doing some work with Jan and he's like, yeah, he's, I'll just straight up tell you, man, if you're going to do work in this, this sort of genre, he's all, you're going to be contacted by kooks and freaks. And he's all, and everybody's going to want stuff for free. He's all, no one's going to want to buy your book. They're all going to want you to just give it to them. And so I've been, I don't know. And again, there's so many spooks and, and there really are that I'll give you an example. Like I, as far as the CIA goes, it really freaks me out. I was friends. You, you heard of the band, the police. You know the police, right? Okay, well, I was friends with the drum, one of the, the drummer's son. The drummer's name is Stuart Copeland, and his son's name is Scott. And so I was friends with him for a while. And I didn't know this at the time, but I found out through Scott that Scott's grandparents were founding members of the CIA. His grandmother was an English spy, and his grandfather was a guy named Miles Copeland Jr., who was part of the OSS originally, um, not the OSS, there was another civil thing he was part of, it wasn't the OSS, but he was eventually involved in like overthrowing um, a couple different, I think the Shah and maybe uh, also in Egypt. So how is it that this dude's son is in one of the most famous rock bands? And what do these bands do? You know, they um, travel around the world. They also like, again, music, this is another interesting thing because we're talking shamanism and all that, like the power of music. Like what goes on with that? Why do they spend so many millions of dollars to influence young people with this music? And so I thought that was really fascinating to see just that these people were all over. Every time I turn around and look, I find like the CIA behind something. And it's just really kind of strange. One of my friends is accused of being, again, that guy, Rob Clark, who wrote Marijuana Botany, he's been accused of being CIA. And it just seems really weird to look around I, and see some of this stuff. So I don't know. And it does kind of frighten me because I don't really, you know, I don't know the ends of this. We were, you've heard about Jeffrey Epstein and you see all this weird pedophilia stuff. And I don't want to be involved with any of that stuff or those types of people. I find it repulsive. But now the times are a bit different. So I don't imagine a book like yours would be dangerous in the sense because there's so many books, not exactly the same, but uh, talking about uh, psychedelics or religion in different aspects. I mean, there's even a book about uh, psychedelics and Islam, which I would imagine would be uh, a very hot topic in certain countries. So uh, I haven't read every word of it, so I don't know if you've said anything really controversial that would make the CIA angry. <laughs> yeah, no, I, and again, they they use disinformation. I mean, they could use you with disinformation. They could. I just don't like being used as a tool, I guess. I don't know. I always feel like if I did something like this, I would want to help people and make the world a better place. I wouldn't want to be used as a useful idiot, you know. I recently discovered an, another concept called pronoia, which is that the the world is or the universe is conspiring to do good for you. <laughs> so it's a more positive uh, thing to have than paranoia, which is the opposite. So if people want to get your book, where can they do that? It's on Amazon. Uh, Right now, yeah, Amazon, 
and it's called uh, Hacking into Heaven, Mushrooms and the Bible. Yeah. But uh, you don't have a website or anything like that, so it's just a book. I I have a blog. Uh, it's called The Autistic Coyote, and I've written on there. I wrote about, like, I wrote about William Blake doing mushrooms. I wrote about life in the computer simulation where I just talked about, you know, the Matrix, Plato, and the brain being a computer, um, stuff like that. Okay, great. Well, thank you a lot for taking the time to talk to me. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It was great. But that's generally not what's happening. What's happening is that people are trying to pull down white civilization because, for whatever reason, they feel that they cannot match it. In the hurly-burly competition of us mere biped mammals, that is what is going on. And that's why the white race is continually being attacked. Not because it was evil, and there were certainly evil aspects to history, as there was in all races and cultures, but because the achievements cannot be matched, let alone exceeded. Therefore, the statue must be cast down. I knew it! Inside one of these boxes is a key. Do not open it yet. Okay, everybody, listen up. Here is the deal. If your box has a key, you will be the last person today to get one of those cute little G6s. Okay? Who will it be? Are you ready? Hold on. Cue the drum roll. All right, open your boxes. Open your boxes. One, two, three. I can't, I don't want to be indiscreet about specific people. Right, okay. I mean, some of the boys there were very young. <laughs> And let me tell you right up front, any of you young people, you want to marry a black man, you girls, don't ask me to do it, because I will not. I refuse. I cannot do it with a conscience toward God and look these quotes in the face. I knew it. It don't matter what kind of dog food it is, folks. It just tastes like shit. Don't settle for less. Support the best. Become a patron over at patreon.com forward slash naturalbornalchemist. If you become a patron, all of your wildest dreams will come true. Let's finish this episode with the song Shiver by Spiderworks. See you all in a week. Freedom is in the mind. 
Yeah.